the field of adjusting, it's not boring because every right. claim's different. You every know? claim's so, different. So every claim, you're going to have new questions that you have on this one that you didn't have on the last one. So you can kind of help build and help create your talk path or the questions you have to ask or how you got to answer certain questions because in adjusting, every claim is different. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Season two of the New Adjuster Podcast. We are super excited to have you back. Episode six. So we are at the two-thirds mark. I believe we are going to be doing nine episodes this season. Uh, Could even be more, depending on the subjects that come up and our potential guest list. Uh, We do have a very special guest today, which we will get into shortly. My name is Murphy. I'm in the property training department here at CNC. And joining me, as always, is... Kelsey, property claims manager. And again, we are very excited to have you with us today as we welcome in a very special guest this week. This week's episode is titled Mastering Independent Adjusting Claims from Start to Finish. So this is a young lady that's worked with us for a while. I say young lady, we're all about the same age, but she's a very special person and a very great co-worker uh, that we have here at CNC. So introducing now, go right ahead. Colleen, Property Claims Supervisor. Colleen, we are super excited to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Um, really excited that you are here, obviously. So tell us a little bit, Property Claims Supervisor, what do you do on a daily basis? How long have you been with CNC? Obviously, we know you're currently with CNC. Just give us a little background of kind of what you do, where you've been. I started with CNC in 2017 and um, really just started as kind of like a call center associate and very quickly got into adjusting because it was needed during Hurricane Irma. Um, so we, I got licensed with an emergency license and then from there I just started handling anything that was coming in for Hurricane Irma and really kind of quickly moved into a training position and then was promoted to supervisor Day-to-day now, um, it comes with a lot of, you know, managing your team, making sure they're doing what they need to do, and even with field adjusters out in the field, you know, making sure that I'm working with the field managers on getting the documents that the desk adjusters need. Um, So really just managing the team. Of course, you know, we like to pull numbers, look at data, see how many claims are getting closed, how many claims are getting open. So, um, and of course, teaching and um, helping people with time management, things like that, Um, you know, because that's what a lot of uh, people need is how to figure out how to do this job and do it the right way, how to deal with the people. So, you know, a lot of different things come up day to day um, as a supervisor in the office um, and having a load of people up under you who all need help with how to handle certain claims that they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So what what motivated you to become an independent adjuster? Well, it's kind of funny because I really didn't know what I was walking into Mm -hmm. when I started with CNC. um, It was Hurricane Irma. We needed people in the seats. We needed insureds who needed help with answering, you know, questions getting answered. So I came in here thinking I was just going to take some calls and help some people customer service, which is kind of, um, you know, I had a big customer service background. I had a background with administrative assistance for a construction company. I worked right directly with the vice president of that construction company. So I knew a lot about building um, and materials. And so that kind of went hand in hand whenever people are telling me my fascia is messed up. I knew what that was. So that helped a lot. Yeah. So I knew a lot about what construction was, what it takes, Mm -hmm. how much things cost and what it takes to get all this stuff done. And then, you know, since I was on the phone, I was taking those initial calls, learning what happened and then they're learning what the policy was going to cover. 
So I really came in to the field or to the um, industry not knowing what it was Mm -hmm. and quickly learned, you know, because it all comes at you real fast once you get in the door. I bet a lot of people would probably say that as a new adjuster. It all comes real fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know we have both said that. And it's funny that you mentioned that the amount of folks that we've either talked to or had on the podcast that mentioned they came in as an admin or a call center rep and now look at where they are. It seems like that's where everybody starts. I did, too. It seems like that's where everybody starts. They start from ground zero. And as you gain more knowledge and expertise, you just keep climbing up the ladder. Um, If you keep doing well, obviously keep showing up to work and keep doing a good job. And you mentioned, too, which I think is kind of the basis for all adjusting that we talk about over and over is the customer service aspect. So with you having experience in that field and some building construction uh, knowledge as well, before you came in the door, I can imagine that really helped, you know, once you got started. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, now let's jump into today's subject. And again, the new adjuster is our audience here, you know, the brand new adjuster or the new-ish adjuster that's getting into this field. So in the very beginning, whenever you come in and you start working claims, you said you came in in a call center type of aspect and then it moved on towards that, I assume as like a desk adjuster. So take us through kind of how you evolved in your call center role, you know, and throughout that storm specifically in Hurricane Irma. Well, during Hurricane Irma, you know, at first when the when it lands and starts causing a lot of damage and the calls start coming in, people want answers on, you know, how fast are we going to be able to process their claim. Um, and whenever you're just taking the phone calls, you just have to kind of read a script and tell them we're going to get to it as soon as we can. You know, we have your claim filed. They're going to be coming out to do an inspection. You know, you kind of have to see if there's any notes available. And if there's not, you got to just kind of tell them to hang tight. Whenever you move from being on the phone or in an admin position where you're taking these type of calls and trying to give some answers that you may not have an answer to just yet, because it all happens really fast in a cap, but whenever you move over to the desk adjusting side, now you have the claim, you have, and, and, and then moving forward, you, you get the inspection results, and it's, it's your job to determine, per the policy, what is going to be covered and how you're going to explain that to the insured if there's not coverage. Um, how to explain those estimates from the field to the insureds. Um, so it gets a, a little more detailed than it is just taking that phone call and mm-hmm. easing their mind. You right. know, it's kind of, that's where the customer service comes in. But then as a desk adjuster, you have to adjust the claim, determine coverage per the policy, and customer service of helping them understand this what's going on. Because they're, right. they're not an yeah. insurance adjuster. So you have to get down to their level and help them understand the process from beginning to end and, you know, what's going to happen now that we have the inspection and what your policy covers so they can get back to normal. Yeah, they're depending on you as the expert. Right. right. Just because they don't know, it's not something they've done every day. They may have never filed a claim before. Right. But they look at you, even though it may be your first day, you are yep. the expert. So you have to be in that role as an adjuster. Absolutely. No, no also dealing with contractors and PAs Mm -hmm. and attorneys through that whole process. And you have to, even if you don't know what you're saying, you have to make it sound like you do because they'll call you out on it quick, fast, and in a hurry. And, you know, you you learn. I've learned so much from just talking on the phone with a public adjuster or a contractor of this is what's how it's supposed to be done. Then we go read the policy and we're like, hey, well, we have to apply it this way and this is what their policy covers. So there's so much to learn even through just taking calls and making calls. Right. So for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's start from the top then, if we're going A to Z, claims from start to finish. So whenever you get sat down at a desk and let's take the role of a desk adjuster here and maybe even partly as a field adjuster. So first thing that happens, the claims get filed. Now the policyholders are calling the insurance carrier, correct? So when they call the insurance carrier and they assign us the claims or an IA firm such as CNC, how do you get claims? Are, do you pick them out of a bucket? Are they assigned to you by somebody? How does that work? And then how many can you possibly get it you know, from the onset? Well, this year we could use that, or I should say last year, some claims obviously flowed over to this year. So that's why I was thinking that. But for Hurricane Ian last year, um, we had pretty big loads assigned to us. And we, we've kind of tried to get a structure of 100 claims or less per person. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they get assigned, like you said, that they're going to call the insurance company to file the claim. The insurance company is going to assign it to CNC. And then from there, somebody like me or an admin would assign the claim to a desk adjuster or to a field adjuster, or I should say, and to a field adjuster using whatever system the insurance company um, has provided usually, or we may use one of CNC's internal systems, just depending on the carrier. Right. The claim will get assigned to you. And then normally you'll get a notification from that system, or you'll get an email letting you know about the new claim. And um, from there you would want to, you know, go review that claim, review what the insured filed, check notes, check underwriting documents, um, anything that's in the file, any prior claims also. Very true. And mm-hmm. do a little research first and familiarize yourself with their claim and with their policy, prior claims, and then you want to make contact and, and talk to that insured about their claims. See if everything they're saying now is what you see on the notice of loss, if there's anything additional. And then you want to go ahead and tell them about the claim process, set an expectation with them, letting them know, um, you know, they want to know how long it's going to take a lot of the time. So give them a good idea of how long it might be. Be honest with them. Don't tell them tomorrow we're going to be out there if you're not going to be out there the next week. Um, you know, and don't tell them they'll begin a check in the mail in a week if you know that right. it's not possible. Right. So, you know, right. set real expectations with them. They want honesty. So, and, and really communicate and then document, document, document. You right. always want to note, um, if possible, you can even upload the recordings from the conversations that's become, okay. uh, you know, uh, along the times we've got advanced, you know, things like that, that are more advanced, where we are able to pull those recordings real easy, upload it to the file. If anybody, you know, wants clarity on something you talked about that you notated, they can go listen to the phone call. So documentation is really big. So, um, in knowledge, you know, informing yourself, being knowledgeable of the policy, communicating and documenting the claim is the most important things to do at the very beginning whenever you get that claim assigned to you and paying attention to those emails and those notifications about the new claim. Right. So that's how it starts out. Yeah. And I think one thing that sticks out to me there is the first thing you said, and that may be what people might get hung up on is the hundred claims, but that's in a cat environment, right? Right. That's not in a daily environment. So just to ease some concern there. (laughs) Yeah. So that was based on like Hurricane Ian. So we had, and then that's like kind of, you know, at first too, they, they start to thin out. You get, you get some big, quick closures. Um, You get some people who'd pull their claim and decide not to pursue it, you know, and then you got another, you know, you got some closures already on your list out of those hundred claims you got assigned. Yeah. Um, and you know, so of course we always adjust, um, as needed. So 
if you can handle more or you can't handle that many, we always, you know, make adjustments so that you're able to handle all the claims, um, even if your workload's big. You know, I mentioned time management, so we do have a lot of involvement on time management and things like that. It's really big whenever you have a large load for a cat situation. Exactly. So I would also like to add that, you know, 100 claims for this carrier might look huge and to someone who's never done this before as a new adjuster, but each carrier I feel like that I've worked for has a different number, like right. a sweet yep. spot for, for sure. So one carrier, 20 is the top, you know, the most you can have for, for whatever, but it also depends on what your responsibilities are with each specific carrier. Are you the claim handler from start to finish? Are you issuing payments? Are you doing every single letter? Um, but, so there are differences when it comes to that, because I know during Ian, we worked for a couple of different insurance companies and each amount was different for, yep. for each of them. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good way to put it too, because with each carrier, you may be taking on a different role. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that a new adjuster would be handling claims for a bunch of different carriers. Typically, correct me if I'm wrong, Colleen, but you're typically dedicated to one carrier one at for a, a storm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I think if you start mixing and matching, that's where you yeah. get in trouble. Right. Definitely, because you are reading one policy that applies to this and then another insurance. You know, a lot of the policies are typically the same, but there could be one little thing that completely changes it, like 180 degrees. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned documentation and the claims process. What types of information do you think a new adjuster should gather at the scene? Um. It's really big to me whenever, you know, being on the desk and getting something from the field with everything not being 100% clear is real big Mm -hmm. to me. So I always said I want to go to the field one day and I think about it and strategize about it right now. (laughs) And one thing I'm going to always do is, you know, you want to take photos of what's damaged and what's not damaged. Right. And you always want to document that as well as take pictures in your pictures document where you are if it's the right side of the house that's what you need to put not just the exterior you know and then the cause of loss you know what caused that damage you know so that's the if i could get that out of every field adjuster then we would be smooth sailing we wouldn't have to ask many questions we so that's the biggest important thing to me is documenting what is damaged, what's not damaged, and what caused the damage. And that's in your notes and in your photos. Yeah. So in, in touch on this too, for the people that may not be aware, why is it so important to document what's not damaged as opposed to just what's damaged? Because if the insured says that something was damaged and we have no photo showing it was or was not damaged, then what are we going to do? Exactly. How are we going to yep. know if yeah. it's covered or not? Yeah. And that's another reason why the cause of loss is so important because that's where you you determine if the policy covers it. You always have to stick to the facts and stick to what the policy covers regardless of the situation. So if you don't know what damaged it, then you won't know if the policy covers it or not. I mean, you can't make assumptions. Right, like wear and tear on a roof. We want you to show those nail pops or mechanical damage or whatever on the roof and then notate. Right. This is a nail pop. This is not hail damage right. or whatever because... They'll go up there and they'll say, well, my roof's leaking and it's because of hail damage up there. Well, yeah, I mean, there there could be hail damage, but there's also this and this is what's actually causing that damage. Right. So it's, right. it's huge to distinguish the different types of damage that there could be covered or not. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a good rule of thumb too, as field adjusters, to go out there and not only, as you said, take photos of what's damaged and what's not damaged, but take at least one photo of each room that's not affected. Because to your point, if they later on down the road say, "Hey, I've got damage in my master bedroom closet, but we don't have any photos," we don't really have a leg to stand on. Right? right? We can't determine is it new? Did it happen at the time? We don't know because we don't have the photos. So that can cut out a lot of supplements on the back end if you just take the extra time in the beginning. And I think that's partly the responsibility of the desk adjuster too, to make sure that they're relaying that information to the field, uh, even as the assigned a desk adjuster, correct? Um, to let right. them know, hey, this is what I need uh, in order to have a complete and thorough file. Right. Um, all right. So we talked about, you know, you, you reviewed the claim, you kind of familiarized yourself with it, informed yourself about what's going on, what's potentially going to be covered based on why they called it in. Now you're getting ready to make that first phone call. So you mentioned before you've got, you know, a call script and, you know, certain answers that you have to give whenever they ask certain questions. Walk through that process with us. How long does that conversation take? Does it just depend on the size of the loss or how much you have to explain? What do you talk about? What do you kind of leave to be determined? Talk to us a little bit about that that phone call. Most of the first notices of loss are on the quicker side, 15 minutes or less. But you will have some insureds who want to talk more. And that could be a small loss to a large loss. It just depends on the insured sometimes. Um they may have lots and lots of questions. They may be upset about something. You know, sometimes they just want to stay on the phone a little longer than other people. And then you got people who really don't even want to talk and have an initial contact, <laughs> just come to the inspection. You know, what do we got to talk about? I told right. you what was damaged. Right. But that's why it's really important to inform yourself first, um, do a review so you are familiar with what is going on with this claim already so that you're not just, um, you know, uh, let me look at this real quick. You get on the phone, tell them what you're calling you know, you're you're making this phone call because you're their claim owner. You're the, you're the person they need to get in touch with if they have questions. Um, here's what's going to happen from here, um, and I will be following up with you here. Um, and you know, ask them if they have any more questions. Um, I always like to talk to them a little bit about the damage just to make sure what we have documented is what, what they still recollect. If there's anything more they want to add, I like to ask them about personal property damage. You know, a lot of time FNOL may not um, get that answer out of them. Or maybe since they've talked to the first notice loss department, there's been more damage or something they found later. So, you know, just ask some probing questions. And then, as always document the claim of everything you talked about, even if it's the same thing that they said in the first notice of loss. Confirm that that's what they said. Upload a com record a conversation if you can. And um, move on to your next new claim and, and get that conversation out of the way. And then, you know, you will have some people who are going to be asking, well, is it going to be covered? <laughs> you know, is it going to be covered? They <laughs> right. want to know the first day. Right. And, and what you can do is you can go over their deck page with them, let them know that, um, you know, you do have coverage for your dwelling. You don't have coverage for other structures, you know, stuff right. like let them know. Go ahead and tell them that, oh, I see you have a shed that was damaged, but FYI, you don't have coverage B. So, you know, we'll, we're going to do an inspection, see what's damaged, but you do not have other structures coverage. You know, go ahead and let them know about their policy if they start asking you those questions. They're not blindsided. Right. Exactly. You yeah. know, and especially if they're asking, if you can tell them, like, just tell them what's on their policy. Just stick to that. We don't want to assume if it's going to be covered or not. Don't you know? You just want to tell them the facts on their uh, deck page, you know. And kinda. you can learn a lot from that first notice of loss too. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can look at them sometimes, and I'm like, 
dang it, just from what they said there, I know this isn't mm-hmm. going to be covered. Right. Yeah. And it's almost one of those things that you want to have a conversation with them at the at the get-go and say, hey, look, I know you reported these types of damages. Your policy, I just want to let you know, does not cover it if it was from this. And, and from that minute right there, they'll sometimes be like, I had no idea. Right. You know, just cancel the claim. I don't want to move forward, which this not only saves time for the insured. It's not wasting their time thinking that they're going to get, you know, have all this stuff happen. They're waiting. They're not going to work. They're having um, to schedule insurance adjusters come out and do an inspection. Um, Then you're able to close the claim quickly. The field adjuster doesn't waste time and resources going out and inspecting a loss that the insured doesn't want inspected anyway. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all, all kind of ways to look at it. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly right. You can get a lot established in that first phone call. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you can head off a lot of maybe future questions by just go ahead and answering some up front. Or callbacks, you know, where they want to call you back, and you're trying to make 100 outgoing phone calls, and people are calling you back with more questions that you could have told them up front. Yep, anticipate what they're going to ask and what they're going to need to know because they're going to call back and say, oh, I forgot to ask you this. Go ahead. You'll learn a lot, I would say, in your first week. This is probably what they're going to ask me, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Because it's it's they're going to it's got it's always trending questions. Yes. Right. We've noticed our admins or call centers, they always let us know. You know, we ask them every couple of days. What are they asking today? And it's every week the trending questions can change as the claims age. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, and especially in a cat environment, I feel like you get the same questions over yeah. and over. Every and call over. is like a lot of the same questions mm-hmm. for sure. And it's time passes even the questions change because uh, it's been a year since hurricane ian but we're still getting hurricane ian claims filed and and you know each one of those say i'm just going to use for an example that this one they're already going to have a contractor it's the contractor that's filing this claim or it's their public adjuster that's filing this claim there's trends for everything um as a claim ages so um where if they had filed the claim right when the storm happened, all this interior damage may not be there. So you know if it's a year later, I need to ask about interior damage because if the roof's been damaged for this long, for a year, it's likely now seeping into the home and insides wet. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody, to another fact or fiction segment here on the New Adjuster Podcast. This segment is brought to you by Blue Leopard Agency, a marketing agency that's redefining success in the digital age. Visit blueleopardagency.com today to discover how they can tailor a marketing plan that's as unique as your brand. Don't wait. Take the first step toward marketing success today. Kelsey, fact or fiction? All right. Fact or fiction. So in this industry, as an adjuster, you get paid based on how many claims you close and how much those claims are worth. Um, well, that could actually be fact or fiction, depending mm. on what type of adjuster you are. A desk adjuster, a field adjuster, a desk estimator. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of different types. It, it usually depends on the carrier mm. um, and, you know, what company you're working for. Uh, desk adjusters a lot of the time are paid by the hour Mm -hmm. so then you'll be getting an hourly rate of course if you work more than 40 hours you get some overtime during a cat you might even get some cat pay um, with that so desk adjuster you're usually going to be hourly so it really wouldn't matter how many claims you have or how much those claims are worth how much those settlements are going to be now with the field so yeah that's fiction for a desk adjuster (laughs) okay um, with a field adjuster, uh, any, any, any I've had dealings with, um, usually have a fee schedule mm-hmm. and a fee schedule is going to be based on how much those claims are written. You know, you're going to start at a $0 claim all the way 
to, you know, however high it goes. Yeah. Millions sometimes. Oh, right. And then for each one of those pay scales, if it's a hundred, I'm sorry, zero to a hundred dollars, it could be, you'll get a, a set rate of that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, if you're going through a third party administrator, you would get a percentage of that pay and the TPA that assigned that to you will get a percentage if that's all going to be worked out in a contract. So you'll know ahead of time. So in that case, it could be true or fact because mm-hmm. depending on how many claims you get, how many, how much those claims are worth, you that's going to affect your pay. Because if it, if you get a bunch of full denial claims where the policy is not covered, zero dollar estimates, you know your pay wouldn't be as more as every house you inspect is a full. Um, you know, total loss. And then, of course, you're writing total loss estimates. You're going to be getting those larger fees from the fee schedule. And they even go up to percentages. So yeah. say, you know, zero to 500, you get 150 bucks or, you know, to 5,000, you get $5,000. Yeah. You get a percentage of that. But some fee schedules, when you get up to the $100,000 range for right. the loss, you get a percentage of... 6% of, yeah. maybe of whatever that loss amount was after you wrote your estimate that adds up yeah Yeah. especially in a cat environment when you've got larger losses and it's also the reason is it's going to take you way longer to write that estimate if i go and exactamate and plug in zero dollars that took me five minutes i write a nice narrative photos i'm getting what i'm getting the work i'm putting into it but you write a a five hundred thousand dollar estimate for a total loss of this nice mansion um, in beverly hills or something you know, you're spending a lot more time making sure your estimate's right. So, you know, per the fee schedule and, you know, the industry, you're going to get paid more for that skill that you're given yes. to the carriers. That's something I've actually had to explain to new adjusters coming in to CNC is that when an insured comes in and they're like, well, this adjuster just didn't want to write an estimate for me. And we have to explain, hey, you know, this adjuster makes more money. The more that they write for, the more money they yeah, get. Yeah, so I've no had to one, have that conversation before too. Yeah, you no know? one's out to say, "Oh, I'm just going to write a zero dollar estimate because I don't want to." I don't do like it. that insurer right. or That's something. Yeah, literally, what they're how they make money. Yeah, you know. And then you also have um, so in the middle, you know, between fact or fiction. Um, you know, we do have there are some adjuster positions that could be paid per claim, just yeah. a flat yep. rate. Um, and that usually is based off the carrier mm-hmm. or a third-party administrator if you're working for a company. And they may hire you in and tell you that you're going to get paid per claim you close. It could even be per claim you close, you know. So um, that's kind of in the middle of fact mm-hmm. and fiction because, you know, if, if you are a really fast, good worker and you can get 300 claims closed a week and you're Ooh. getting paid off of that, well, just throwing yeah. numbers out there. But, you know, then then you would be making more depending on the amount of claims you close. But it wouldn't matter how much those settlements were or if they were full denials because they, yeah. they may do flat rates based on the amount of claims you take in and close. That would be more of like, I'm asking, like an in-house estimate writer. Right. Something you know? like that. Okay. That makes sense. Fact and fiction. Fact right. and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Because like it. Because you will get paid based off the amount of claims you close, but... Not how much those claims are worth. True. Yeah. And it's kind of different for in and outside adjusters. So, yeah. I like that. Fact and fiction. Yeah. That's yeah. The new, that's the new one. All right. Let's jump back to it. So, 
Colleen, how do you stay updated on the latest trends, regulations, best practices in the insurance industry? Well, since I got licensed, I have always been getting um, emails from the Department of Insurance where I like through the states, um, whatever state I have a license for, I click that yes, whatever they ask you, can we send you emails? And Mm -hmm. so I get like weekly or monthly newsletters from, Mm -hmm. let's say, the state of Florida or Texas, Mississippi, places where I have licenses. And of course, I sometimes scroll right past it. But if I want to, that information is right there for me to read and catch up on any of the new things that may be going on at that state's Department of Insurance. Who Mm -hmm. better for that to come from? Um, There are a lot of social media websites or groups, I should say, Mm -hmm. that you can join, join, and then it'll just come right up while you're looking on social media. That's all I see anymore. Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) you don't even have to seek it out too much. It just comes right there for you when you join that group. And, um, you know, you hear lots of talks of things um, from other adjusters. And then sometimes you get straight facts, just like from the Department of Insurance. Like I would get an email. People want to share that information with others in the industry. Um, And, you know, there may even be other, you know, groups in your area Mm -hmm. that you can join for, like, claims uh, clubs or people who want to meet and market, you know, different ideas and and things like that to see, you know, um, where is the work at, you know, and what things are changing. People who want to have adjusters join them at their company and things like that. And then um, always, you know, if you are working for a company or you get those emails from the vendors and stuff you might have worked with before, you know, on the field, you've got different vendors that assist you with inspections. Sometimes sign up for their email groups. They get webinars and, um, you know, classes where you can get CEs. Those are going to be really informative. Um, You know, whenever you have time, always take those classes that are offered from those different vendors and people like that um, because not only do you get the CEs, so it helps you every couple years whenever that time comes around to renew, but it it keeps you updated on things that are going on. They're having those webinars for a reason Mm because they have more information to share. So, you know, those are going to be how you're going to pick up on the things going on right now. Yes. um, Because everything's always changing, you know. so beneficial, too, is right now we're all seeing it. It's pretty slow right now in, in the claims industry. Get on, you know, those websites. Go take take a look we're actually at CNC having a book club about different um, topics in the insurance mm-hmm. industry and reading different articles and talking about it. Take those webinars, the classes, the CEs. That is so beneficial right now when it's slow because you're learning and you are find out all the updates. I mean, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, I think, too, a, a big, I would say, misconception is that adjusting is – you know, it's a hard industry to get into. You know, it's hard to get information. That could not be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a very – adjusting is a very welcoming industry. There's a lot of people that are willing to give you their two cents, welcomed or not, on their experiences, what they've gone through, what makes it easier. Hey, this is a program that I've used that helped me in the field or at the desks, you know. So when you talk about those claims associations and even conferences uh, such as like NACA and PLRB, mm-hmm. those are all great places to get new guidance, new best practices, uh, new software softwares and features that will help you as an adjuster along your kind of career path. So um, let's get back to the claims process here. So we talked about reviewing the claim, making the first contact. The field adjuster now goes out, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. They do the inspection, what they're supposed to take photos and not, determining coverage. Now, you don't want them to determine coverage on site with the adjust- or with the insured, right? And tell us why that is. 
Well, most of the time, that's the process. You know, the the field adjuster is there to document and report back to the insurance company or, you know, to that claim owner, the desk adjuster. Um, Sometimes, you know, out in the field and you're doing the inspections, you may not have the, you know, policy at hand. Right. You don't want to call coverage um, for most situations. There may may be some. I don't want anybody to say, well, I do that because there are some where people do the first call settlements and stuff on site after they inspect. Mm -hmm. And that's that's good whenever that's the case. But in a lot of the case and what we see most of the time at CNC, we don't do on site first call settlements or anything. So the field adjuster wants to turn that over to the desk adjuster so that they can further analyze the policy, the underwriting reports, um, any kind of reports about prior claims, make sure that we determine the coverage correctly. And even, um, you know, we have a claim review process. That's probably the first thing, or that is the first thing that would be done whenever we get those documents from the field adjuster. We want to review, and and like we mentioned, multiple carriers can be involved within CNC. So, you know, we have to look at that particular insured's policies carrier. What are their estimating guidelines? What are things that they require to be for, let's say, a full roof replacement. Um, Did those photos have a description? Did they get a photo of every area? Have they got something on their estimate that we don't have a photo of? You know, Mm -hmm. we do a full claim review. Um, This can be done by a claim review department or some in some cases or some carriers, it could be done by the desk adjuster themselves. So you always review what the field adjuster has provided and make sure it's all in sync with what was filed at the first notice of loss, prior claims, you know, pre-existing damage. Um, do the photos match the narrative? And do the photos narrat- and narrative match the estimate? Right. Once all that good stuff checks out, then you can just determine the coverage for the insured. That's going to be your full fully covered. Uh, most of the stuff's covered. Some of it's not. Mm-hmm. Or none of it's covered. Right. And from there, what you would do is write the coverage determination letter is the common um, name of the letter that we use um, in property Mm -hmm. department. And on it, it's literally going to tell them everything they need to know about the claim. It's the letter usually starts off as you filed your claim as this. We did the inspection and we observed this Mm -hmm. and this is what's covered or this is what's not covered or this is covered and this is not anything not covered the letter is also going to explain why. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's going to tell you what happens from here. And whenever you're above your deductible, it's going to explain, you know, here's the settlement check we're issuing. Um, please send, you know, proof of your repairs. It'll just tell you what to do from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're below deductible, it'll say pretty much the same thing, except you're not going to get anything because your claims damage did not exceed your deductible. Right. It go. I mean, it's pretty generic. If if the person on the other end reads everything in the letter, and inter, you know, wants to understand it, it's all right there in the letter. And I've also told a lot of my desk adjusters, if you know, stick to the facts. Um, some things may be a little unfamiliar to someone who's never done insurance, but for the most part, the letters are very understandable. They don't use just insurance jargon. They right. lo- they use words to where they should be able to understand it. So if the insured maybe 
doesn't want to read that, you know, you can use the dust coverage determination letter to have that conversation with the insured. Use that as your talk path. Go over it because that letter literally explains what happened from the beginning, uh, what happened when we inspected what's covered, and what do you do now that you know what is or is not covered. Yeah. It should be written in a it, way in that, that order. you can read it out right. loud and it makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. I so like that. a lot of time the insureds are like, that letter doesn't make any sense to me, but it's probably because they really didn't want to take the time to read it. Mm-hmm. They want you, the expert, to tell them if they're covered or not. They don't yeah. want to read that letter. Yeah. So it's really good that the letter, we still have it because it's, it's the best way to talk them through it and help them understand the, the you know the claim and what's going to happen now that we're we're done we're really done on our end at that point but yeah. the insured still has a journey ahead of them to get in their house fixed you know yeah and I think that letter too does give you some sort of a talk path to your point right. you know it's going to help you get through that conversation which can sometimes be difficult you know if it's a full denial or a partial denial where maybe not everything's getting paid for you know for instance Kelsey had the example earlier where maybe they've got nail pops on the roof but the ensuing interior damage could in fact be covered, you know, for some other reason. Um, so yeah, it will help you get through that sometimes challenging phone call. Right. And a big thing is the policy language, um, you know, because you do have insureds who may believe you are calling coverage inaccurately. And that's whenever you can always, you know, of course, see where they're coming from, be compassionate with that conversation with them and understand why they're upset. But you have to stick to the facts and you just have to stick to the policy. You know, what does the policy say is covered? And and a lot of times whenever you're able to explain that, they accept it as the answer. And this is what it is. And maybe I should look into changing my policy. So maybe next time it'll be covered. That's right. Because then they understand why wasn't it covered? What could I have done to get coverage for that next year when a hurricane comes again. A lot of times you just have to, I don't even want to say dumb it down, but when I have had someone explain my policy to me before I was in insurance, you know, and just saying, look, this, this is what your policy says. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you in a way that, you know, it's understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, Wind driven rain coverage. It'll, it'll say something like, you know, enters through an opening caused by wind or hail. And you kind of have to explain this is what that means. It has to be damaged first and then water come in to, um, you know, allow for coverage. So a lot of it is being a people person, like right. you said in the beginning, customer service and being empathetic and compassionate. Yeah. And, and everybody huge. you talk to is different too. Yep. Sometimes, I mean, I may talk to one person this way and talk to the next person a completely different way. They would think I was a different person. Read the room. Yeah. You have <laughs> yeah. to, you Good have point. to know how do people understand? Like I can't talk to everybody the same and everybody's not the same. And that's one thing that we get escalations on is whenever somebody just tries to stick to a generic script and not go into that, that specific person's needs, you know, you have to understand what they need from you. Listen to them, listen to the questions, figure out what they don't understand. And then, figure out the way to explain it the way that they will understand. And you may have to change up, you know, every oh, time yeah. you talk to somebody, ch- talk to them different. Change it up. You some people to. want to talk fast. Some people want to talk slow. You know, some people can't hear. You got to talk yeah. louder. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the making of a good adjuster too. Cause let's be honest, it's not the first time you've talked to them. You know, you've right. made the first contact. So these are notes that you can keep for yourself saying, Hey, you know, Mrs. Johnson, I have to explain it this certain way because she had some questions from the onset about this or that. Whereas, 
you know, Mr. Jones, he is a, you know, he, he's a building construction uh, manager, you know, so he has a better understanding of what I might be talking about. So I think that helps too, as a new adjuster and any adjuster to make, you know, some notes for yourself as you go to say, hey, this is something I have to remember on this claim, or this is how I can explain it on that claim. So for sure. So I guess that kind of leads me into my next question is how do you handle ethical, ethical dilemmas that may arise during the claim process, such as conflicting interests between policyholders um, and insurers? Right. That definitely happens a lot because, oh, yeah. and we are kind of in the middle, being a third-party administrator or even in the field, being an independent adjuster. Yeah. You know, you're here for self, but you represent the insurance company, and it's your job as an adjuster to help that insured get their mm-hmm. claim filed and handled. So the most thing I do is, like we've already mentioned a few times, being compassionate, being an advocate for that insured. But at the same time, you have to do right by the insurance company, which it's really not so much the insurance company. It's the policy. Right. It's mm-hmm. What the policy says is what goes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just have had to stick to that a lot of time whenever I, I get since I'm a supervisor, of course, I deal with more escalated issues. Mm-hmm. I don't have to usually speak with anyone unless there's a problem or unless they have a problem. Right. So I always just listen to them to figure out what is their problem. And I'm very compassionate and understanding. I understand why they may be confused or concerned. And I let them know that. And then I educate them. And the education is going to come from the facts and the policy. You know, this is what was damaged and how it was damaged, and this is what your policy says. And I understand that is upsetting because that means you're not going to get coverage from your insurance policy you pay every month. I understand, you know. We pay this to have the protection, but then you find out your policy doesn't cover it. And, you know, I just am, like I said, empathetic with them. And then sometimes I'll make suggestions, too, of maybe you should talk with your agent to see if there could be an adjustment made to your policy so that if a hurricane comes again, that same type of damage could happen again. And now it would be covered, you know, so I sometimes throw out suggestions to them too of it's too late now, but maybe in the future we could fix it. And that also helps them too. Cause then they're like, well, like you said, it is what it is, but how can we prevent this in the future? So that's like a problem-solving thing, you know. So you've, yeah. you've addressed the issue, you've explained it, so now they understand, and now you're able to make a suggestion to them of how they may prevent this in the future. And that's how, you know, and then because you don't want to just agree with them that, oh, yeah, your agent wrote you a terrible policy. I agree <laughs> right. with you. You know, you that's can never do that. <laughs> right, yeah, you never want to do that. You never want to just agree with the insured. You know, they could be saying really bad things, but— you can listen to it, and, and you don't want to tell them they're wrong. You just want to say, I understand why you feel that way, but this is why. And that's what you educate them and make suggestions to maybe prevent it in the future. And that's yeah. the best you can do because you don't want to you don't want to talk bad about them or the insurance company. Right. You, know, you work for them, but yeah. you're also there for the insured because yeah. we're not here to look for a way to deny a claim. Right. We're here to, to find, find coverage. coverage within right. this policy. Yeah. And what so we are kind of like for? the bridge in the middle yeah. that has to help them understand that the insurance company didn't just try to play you. You know, <laughs> yeah. they right. actually are, you know, they wrote you a policy and that's what you agreed to. It's and contract. Right. It's a contract. And we can't change it now just because it's not covered. But right. maybe we can do something in the future. Let, let's reach out to them, see what we can do to, to resolve this for next time at yeah. least. 
Yeah. Great point there, too. We are looking for coverage. That kind of harkens back to the pay on the fact and or fiction that we just did. Yeah. You're looking for coverage. For field adjusters, the more you write, the more you get paid for. So it is not their objective or their goal to go out there and deny everything or to make sure they don't pay for everything. And a lot of times, we've said this already, that helps in that settlement conversation, letting them know, hey, just being straight with you, the more the field adjuster writes for the more he gets paid or she gets paid. So they are looking to provide you as much coverage as possible, but we are limited to this document, this policy, and it only lets us go so far. But by the time the next policy period rolls around, there can always be adjustments made with the agent. And that happens, we've seen it happen for some carriers from you know year to year, from cat to cat, that, oh, you can tell that they've changed this because mm-hmm. this is new. Yeah. This is a new addition yep. or a Updated new endorsement. Updated special provisions, yep. for sure. Exactly. They didn't right. know they needed it last time, but they do now. now they do. <laughs> well, I've seen situations do. where it's so there will be a, a claim and you're like, oh, my gosh, I could see this either way on it should or it shouldn't be covered. And not only is that a learning experience for us, but it is for the carriers and the underwriters as well, because they're like, hey, this can be misconstrued or interpreted. You can interpret a policy completely different than I interpret a specific scenario. So those I feel like are also kind of ethical dilemmas. But my thing is, is I'm always going to err on the side of we're looking for coverage, whatever Mm -hmm. benefits the insured more for their policy that they pay for is is how I go about it. Right. Yeah, and it's always sticking to that policy yes. at the end. Always got to stick to the policy. Absolutely. Yeah. So throughout the claims process, the A to Z, which we kind of just covered, what are some keys to long-term success and job satisfaction? You know, taking some satisfaction in what you do. What are some keys, you know, that you can really apply from day one throughout the end of your deployment your claim handling cycle that will help you help the policyholder and help the carrier. My biggest things is communication, documentation, and details. Um, I feel like I got a lot of attention or recognition, I should say, whenever I started because I asked those questions that everybody else wasn't asking. I wanted, I was interested. I wanted to know what what was wrong, what happened. Can you give me the full story? I would write down. I would just listen and just write down the things. And then I would ask them again. So you mentioned, because the insurer's going to be talking 90 to nothing half the time. You don't want to stop them. Let them get all their thoughts out. And I just take notes of things that stick out to me or maybe I didn't get clarity on and go back to that question, ask more probing questions. So, you know, you said that water started rising from where, (laughs) you know, and, you know, because they're just going to go fast and, you know, you want to go back to them. So you want to, just effective listening, communicating, always documenting everything, and um, giving those extra details is what really makes adjusters stand out. That's going to make you stand out as a field adjuster or an in, uh, inside desk adjuster whenever you're going above and beyond and getting those details so that the next conversation, we don't have to ask that. Or even if the field, if the field adjuster gets a lot of detailed information, takes pictures of every room on the inside, every Every wall on the outside, we're not going to have to go back and ask the field adjuster, and we're not going to have to ask the insured. We're going to have the full story up front. And then on the inside, whenever you have those initial conversations, if you're, if you're getting all those details and then you're documenting it too, that's the big thing. Don't just ask about it and know for yourself. Put it in the file so the next person who picks it up or your supervisor who's got to approve what you're submitting, you know, put those details very well in the notes 
And, um, you know, communication, not only with the insured or, you know, if you're a desk adjuster, talking to your field adjuster who's doing the inspection, Mm -hmm. talking to your supervisor, bringing, you know, your team in on on difficult claims that you may have questions on, you know, just not just communicate with the insured, communicating with everybody that you're around every day. Um, You know, if you are in the field, getting to know some of those other field adjusters who may have been more experienced than you, you know, they can teach you a lot. You might be able to teach them some things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got old school and new school (laughs) doing different things. And whenever they come together, it's a good thing, um, you know, be able to learn a lot. Um, And, you know, I feel like that's the biggest thing with adjusting regardless inside or outside um, is communication, documentation, and details. I like that the the key to the long-term success is starting those habits early. Like right. when you yep. first come in, make sure to document those files, make sure to list everything, ask these questions. Starting those habits early when you first start doing it will only help you improve over time because you're it's just something you automatically do. Yeah, and it'll make you stand out too. Yeah, not absolutely. As much as we want everybody to do that, everybody's just not going to do it. Right, They're right. just not that. They just might not be that type of person who's going to be able to ask those questions or have things like that come to them. So it really makes you stand out as an adjuster too. And that's what cause that's what we obviously like to see. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think. You know, the field of adjusting, it's not boring because every right. claim's different. You every know? claim's so, different. So every claim, you're going to have new questions that you have on this one that you didn't have on the last one. So you can kind of help build and help create your talk path or the questions you have to ask or how you got to answer certain questions because in adjusting, every claim is different. And most people think, well, I don't want to be in something that's going through the motions over and over. That's one thing I can say about adjusting is it is different every single time. So it helps you along the way build that check sheet or that question sheet, answer sheet, however you want to phrase it. So Yeah. Well, this was fun. This was fun, Colleen. Obviously, we appreciate you being here. Um, fantastic guests. We are super thankful that you've been here. I, I know I speak for Kelsey, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so, again, just want to thank you for being here. Hopefully, we can have you on again at some point. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it so, was great. All right, good deal. Thanks, Thanks for Colleen. inviting me. Yep. Thanks, Colleen. I enjoyed that so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another MythBuster segment. This MythBuster segment is brought to you by CNC Connect. Our conference is coming up January 8th through the 10th in beautiful downtown Mobile. We look forward to seeing you. We're going to have a lot of great speakers that talk about different topics within the insurance adjusting industry. So we look forward to seeing you. Go ahead and get your tickets today. So, Kelsey, common myth or misconception of the week is you can be an independent adjuster and a public adjuster at the same time. Yeah, definitely a myth or misconception because you you definitely can't work the same claim as both. You can't represent the insured at the same time as representing the insurer. So you can't work for both of them because playing both sides of the field, it's just not not legal. <laughs> not legal. That is not a good legal. way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you can hold both licenses, obviously, in both states, I should say, but you definitely can't work the same claims as... It's both an IA and a PA. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us today for season six of the New Adjuster podcast. Fantastic guest today. Colleen went over a lot of great things with our subjects. As we look forward to our next episode, we talk about breaking down an insurance policy from the perspective of an independent adjuster. So we are really excited about that episode. Obviously, we look forward to seeing you. Go back and give us a watch or a listen wherever you get your podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, y'all.